Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy podcast. My name is Tingting Yang. I'm a master's student in international relations and diplomacy at Leiden University, and I'll be your host. Today we are honored to have as our guest Birgitta Niklasen, senior lecturer from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. In this podcast, we'll discuss her study published in the newest special issue of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy, entitled "The Gendered Networking of Diplomats." This is a study that combines Birgitta's expertise in public administration and her research interest in gender topics. So, Birgitta, thank you for joining us in this podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm very excited about this conversation. It's a great pleasure to have you here today to talk about gender in diplomacy, which is a topic that has not yet been very often explored in academia, and I'd also say has not been given sufficient attention in foreign ministries either. So, before we dive into research, Birgitta, could you perhaps talk a bit about how this research came about? What motivated you to study gender in diplomacy? Well, as you said in the introduction, I've always been interested in doing research that applies a feminist perspective, for example, to the career developments of women and men in politics and public administration. And the idea to my present project was developed in discussions with my colleague Anne Towns, who is a scholar of international politics. And we realized that, in spite of the fact that there's a relatively high awareness now of the relevance of applying a gender perspective on careers and leadership in general, there's hardly any research at all about this when it comes to diplomacy, neither by IP scholars nor by public administration scholars. And one reason for this is probably the widespread notion of diplomacy as gender neutral. This is a notion that I often come across in my interviews with diplomats. As a diplomat, you represent your country. You're not Anna or Sven when you sit at the negotiation table. No, you're Sweden, simply Sweden, and your interactions with the other people present are assumed to be based on the status, position, and interests of that state. However, if you think about it, this is a rather strange assumption. First, because the more we learn about gender, the more we realize how it permeates all spheres of society. So why should diplomacy be any different? Is it really possible for diplomats to live in their societies where they constantly need to navigate gender norms, and as soon as they step into a diplomatic context, they stop relating to these norms in their interactions with other people? This seems very unlikely, particularly given, and this is the second reason, the importance ascribed to interpersonal relations in diplomacy. How can gender be dismissed as irrelevant in a context where building trust and networks is essential for success? This was so puzzling to Anne and me that、so、we decided that this was something worth looking into. Yes, thank you. So, a gender perspective is really important in the world of today, and especially in the field of diplomatic studies. And I hope your study will motivate more researchers to look into this topic. And another thing I noticed about your research, which is really interesting, is that it's based on interviews with actual diplomats from the Swedish Foreign Ministry. As a student of diplomacy myself, I'm quite curious about how you accomplished all the fieldwork, all the interviews with diplomats. Could you let us know what steps you went through? 
Well, my primary aim was to talk to diplomats, both women and men, who have experiences of working in extremely gender unequal environments, for example, where women make up a low share of the former labor force, or where there are few female leaders in the public sphere. So the idea was that these are the contexts where the gender of a diplomat is the most likely to matter when it comes to networking. So if we can't observe any differences here, it's unlikely that diplomats' gender matters in other contexts. These interviews were then compared to the experiences of diplomats who have been posted in relatively gender-equal societies. So the latter interview interviews were carried out as a kind of control to check whether the experiences were the same everywhere or if the level of gender equality in the local context matters. But actually, uh, carrying out the interviews presented a bit of a challenge. Diplomats aren't an easy group to interview. They're very busy, of course, which is perfectly understandable. But my experience is also that it can be difficult to make them speak frankly and openly, particularly about their own organization. To some extent, this may just be due to habit. Diplomats are used to always considering everything they say very carefully. Giving away too much at the wrong time or to the wrong person could prove detrimental to their work. However, some of those working at Ministries of Foreign Affairs, MFAs, I will call them, say that they dare not be too critical of their organizations since such statements may affect their careers negatively. Consider that people often spend their whole professional lives within an MFA. They don't tend to go between different public organizations to the same extent as other civil servants. And this means that these diplomats become more dependent on staying on good terms with everybody in that organization, particularly in a small MFA where people constantly cross paths with each other. Well, at the same time, diplomats converse with ease. They're experts at making people feel comfortable, and they can talk about more or less any topic, at least in a superficial way. So it happened on a few occasions that I left an interview feeling very content, only to realize after a while that the conversation had actually never really reached the depth that I'd aimed for. So it takes a lot of skill interviewing people who have extensive training in never giving away more than appropriate. That being said, the large majority of the respondents were extremely helpful and shared their thoughts and experiences most generously. Right. Thank you for this very detailed explanation. Although there are difficulties, but now I still feel more confident about doing a similar research myself in the future. And I believe our listeners also find your account very interesting because, as you mentioned, the foreign ministry has appeared to be a rather inaccessible agency to the general public and to the researchers, too. It has remained rather understudied, an understudied institution, and that makes your research really stand out. And I'm also wondering, apart from what you have just said about the, the difficult access to diplomats, are there any other factors that can explain why there have been relatively few studies on the foreign ministry? Well, I think the accessibility that you mentioned and that I just talked about when it comes to interviewing diplomats is one factor. The activities of MFAs have been shielded from the public eye as well as from academics to a greater degree due to the secrecy required in some of its interactions with foreign powers. And this is something that has been considered legitimate Foreign policy and the implementation thereof is rarely a subject of open political debate. 
rather it's something that unites the nation. So perhaps that's one reason why political scientists and public administration scholars haven't taken much interests, interest in MFAs. This organization has been considered as relevant primarily to scholars of international and not of national politics. Also, the organization of MFAs may differ from that of other public agencies. The foreign missions of Sweden, for example, are less autonomous. So if you want to describe general statements or if you want to make general statements about how the public administration works, then MFA may not be the obvious case to study. Yes, I see. Thank you for offering us your perspective as an expert in public administration. And I think despite all the peculiarities and difficulties, I I hope this conversation and our new special issue on foreign ministries can still bring more attention to this crucial diplomatic institution. Now, turning to your research, Bibita, on the gendered networking of diplomats, for our listeners who are not very familiar with this paper, it explores how female diplomats network in comparison to their male colleagues. An important issue that Bergita addressed in this study is gender-based performance pressure. That is, women as a minority gender group in a male-dominated workplace may feel they are constantly standing in the limelight with people constantly watching how they are managing. When it comes to diplomacy, when it comes to female diplomats, Birgitta, could you briefly explain to us how this performance pressure demonstrates itself? Well, I can say how this is expressed in the way they experience their work. The women I've talked to are very well aware that they are being evaluated as women. And this means that if they fail to live up to expectations, they may not just be questioned as individuals. People may actually start questioning whether women are suited as diplomats at all. And this is a consequence of women being or working in a male-dominated profession. They represent their sex in a way that male, their male colleagues do not. The result is that female diplomats tend to portray themselves and their work in a way that doesn't just make them as good as their male colleagues, but better. It isn't enough that they can accomplish everything that men can do. They can do more. They can do it better. And this way of describing their work is something that I interpret as a way for female diplomats to motivate their presence in diplomacy, which is interesting. Women have made up more than 30% of the employees of the Swedish MFA since the 1990s, but they still feel that they need to defend their right to be there. Yes, thank you. So I see that women are more visible in the diplomatic world due to their gender and this visibility can can be a source of stress for them and can also contribute to some doubtful standard. But at the same time, I imagine their female gender also entails some advantages, especially in networking. If I remember correctly, you have mentioned in your study that women may have easier access to certain groups of the society and that their networking approaches may also prove to be more efficient than those used by their male colleagues. So I was wondering, could you give us some examples to illustrate these advantages? Yeah, female diplomats often observe that in, a very, in the very gender unequal societies where they are expected to face the greatest difficulties in their work because of their gender, they can make the most difference. Because in these societies, women and men interact less in public, partly because the women are less present in the public sphere. And that doesn't mean that their knowledge and experiences are irrelevant to public life, quite the opposite. But male diplomats have limited access to them. 
Female diplomats, on the other hand, can meet with local women and learn from them. And similarly, female diplomats may have easier access to women in power through women with the women ambassador networks that exist at several postings. And female diplomats also experience that they sometimes can extract more useful information from male counterparts and underestimate them. As female diplomats, they may not be expected to understand or be able to do anything with the information that is passed on to them. And this is something that they can use to their advantage. Great, great, thank you. I see this networking approaches or strategies can really benefit from ministries in achieving a variety of diplomatic goals. This also leads me to think about another important group of women in the world of diplomacy, that is the diplomatic wives, the wives of diplomats. These women have also been contributing to the work of foreign ministries in their own way. In fact, throughout the diplomatic history, so I was thinking, in today's world, where women can play the role of both diplomats and diplomatic wives. What are the overlaps and differences between these two groups of women? What are your thoughts on this? Yes, something that I find striking when listening to female diplomats is how well their stories echo those of diplomatic wives. Wives of diplomats have been recognized to play a crucial part of the networking and information gathering of their husbands, particularly in relation to local communities and in informal settings. This is a role that many female diplomats have seemed to adapted. Um, my interpretation is that this role enables female diplomats to carve out a niche for themselves. This is something they can do that their male, male colleagues can't. Thus, this is an area where they don't need to compete. Instead, by focusing on this aspect of their networking, female diplomats show that women and men complement each other in diplomatic work, that they are good at different things. And this means that female diplomats can motivate their presence in MFAs without constituting a threat to the men who work there. But at the same time, one important difference between diplomatic wives and female diplomats is that the latter also have access to the formal settings. They can play the role, as you said, of the husband as well as the wife. And the question is, though, if they can play both roles equally well and if they should be expected to, particularly since male ambassadors aren't expected to shoulder the role of diplomatic wives. That's great. Thank you. That, that's a really thought-provoking idea. And I see there are some really interesting connections between these two groups of women because of their shared gender, but there are also significant differences in terms of access to social groups and social settings. And that makes me really want to carry this discussion a bit further to go on talking about women's roles. We know that different cultures may have different expectations for women's role in a society. And, for example, you also mentioned in your study that Sweden is a rather gender-equal society, a society that allows women to take on fairly high-status diplomatic posts, such as ambassadors. But I imagine the hosting nations where these diplomats serve as this diplomat serve may not always have the same expectations for women. So sometimes there would even be a conflict of expectations, I imagine. So according to what you have discovered, how have female diplomats coped with this kind of conflict? Well, many of the female diplomats see this as an opportunity to visualize to people in the host nation what a gender equal society might mean, what women that women can be ambassadors. 
also being the representative of their country, they have access to the same formal settings as their male colleagues. So female diplomats claim that working in less gender equal countries doesn't present much of a problem to them at all. Again, in some formal settings, they may be treated differently than their male colleagues. Several of the women interviewed have at some point experienced being mistaken for a spouse, and they have found themselves ushered into a reception room for wives instead of diplomats. This is something they say don't, they don't perceive this to limit their work. Either the view is this, that this opportunity this gives them an opportunity to interact with people who they don't normally talk to, or they simply walk off and join their colleagues in the other room and no harm is done. Yes, thank you. These are really interesting discoveries. I, I really look forward to seeing more research on the on the gendered aspect of diplomacy, not least in, in different cultural contexts. And now if we think about this potential researchers, Birgitta, could you perhaps tell us how you imagine further research on this topic on gender in diplomacy can be best carried out? Well, I think there's a lot to be studied and discovered with regard to MFA still. And in this process, comparative work is absolutely necessary. It's through comparisons that we can improve our understanding of why MFAs are different as institutions and what consequences that has for those working there, their work and for the relationship between states. Why are there more women in some MFAs than in others, for example? There are a number of factors that are likely to matter here, but in what ways and to what extent is something that we have little knowledge about. Is it about how the diplomats are recruited? Is it about the kind of support offered to the spouses and families? Is it about gender roles of the organizations? Is it about norms regarding the balance between work and family? Um, so, And there are scholars who take an interest in these questions. For example, the GenDip network that is organized by Ant Hans from the University of Gothenburg. A number of researchers from this network are currently working on a special issue focusing on how gender norms and gender identities are or have been formed and challenged in MFAs all around the world. And if anything, go, if everything, I hope, goes as planned, this special issue may appear in the Hague Journal of Diplomacy next year. Well, great. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to that special issue. And I believe the academic community is also very eager to read it. Now, thinking about the practitioners among our audience instead, thinking about the foreign ministry people, I'd like to ask you one last question to conclude this conversation. We know now that female diplomats' networking approaches are different, yet no less efficient. So how do you think foreign ministries can make the most of these approaches or strategies? I think that it's important that the value of these kinds of networks is recognized, that the work of female diplomats is recognized, and that their competences are acknowledged, be they the same as their male colleagues or different. Thank you, Birgitta. I believe acknowledgement and recognition is really important. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us in this podcast to share your thoughts and to introduce your work to our audience. I hope the, the, I hope the gendered networking of diplomats, the gendered aspect of diplomacy in general will continue to be researched and discussed in academia and among policymakers. And I hope this debate will eventually contribute to more diversity and equal opportunities in the profession of diplomacy. So 
Thank you again, Birgitta, and to everyone that's listening. Thank you for tuning in to the third episode of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy podcast. See you next time.